and ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hjalta Sonstein episode one of our podcast. And today I'm going to do a very brief introduction just by myself with no guests. In the future, we will have guests on the show from industry experts to professionals who work with all the air traffic engineering from all over the world, really. Um, but today I just want to do a little bit of a introduction about what the actual pod, the concept of the podcast is going to be and how it's going to pan out um, as we go forward with it. So to begin with, uh, a little bit about Hjalta Sonstein then. So the main question I've been asked is, what does the name mean? Fair question. What does the name mean? I did not expect anybody to know what the name meant because it means nothing to anybody except them to myself. So basically, Hjalta is a sort of adaptation of the old name for the Shetland Islands, which is where I am from, which in previously used to be called Hjatland. And uh, Sonstein is my indoctrination of the English word sunstone, pronounced in my native dialect. So instead of sunstone, it's Sonstein. And basically the sunstone was a crystal stone that the Vikings used to use for navigation. So I suppose you could say Hjalta Sonstein is Shetland navigation. And yes, I do realize that the world is a lot bigger than Shetland Islands, but you know what? We're in the middle of the sea and had to deal with navigation for a long, long time. So it's my incarnation of it, shall we say. So that's where the name come from. And the purpose of this podcast really is to sort of really promote the work done by the air traffic control uh, engineers. So the tagline underneath Yalta Sonstein is CNS, ATM and ATSEP. And that stands for CNS first is communications, navigation and surveillance. Then ATM is your air traffic management and ATSEP is the acronym for the actual people who do the job, the air traffic safety electronics personnel. Um, as the name suggests, communication, navigation, surveillance, air traffic management, ATSEPs, it's a big mouthful. So uh, we love nothing more in aviation than to use abbreviations. And we have thousands of them. But what it tells you is the wide ranging roles that these engineers have to take on. Varying from systems like telephone lines, telephone exchanges, right up to radar systems, even space-based technology. Everything in order to keep the aircraft flying safely through the skies all the time. To get you guys from point A to point B out for your holidays or on your business trips. There is a whole army behind the scenes running all this equipment. And it's incredibly complex, but we'll start by looking a little bit to begin with at communications. So what is communications? In all our lives, communication is the main thing in everyday life. How we speak, how we look, how we present ourselves, how we interact with other people. But actually, it's a tiny percentage of communication which is verbal or vocal. And that gives a challenge 
to air traffic control because that is all they have is voice communications or it was all they had voice communications and language and this means that everything that is said from an air traffic control perspective has to be absolutely precise and unambiguous it has to be clear concise and to the point and also as short as possible so the controllers have set phrases which are used and certain words and terminology and these are used all over the world it doesn't matter where you're from uh, which is the native language the international language for air traffic control is English so things a few examples like you will never hear the word yes said on So you will never hear the word yes said over the airwaves by a pilot or by a controller. Instead, they will use the term a firm. And the same goes for no. You won't hear the word no. It'll be negative. And this is how it goes throughout all aviation to ensure everything is as concise and as clear as can be with agreed set phrases. Even for numbers, we have like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, niner. Niner is instead instead of nine. So it just makes it a little bit more clearer. So frequency 135.9 would be 135.9. So this is how we deal with communications. And then if we move on to navigation. Navigation obviously is the getting from A to B. And we all deal with navigation again in our everyday lives. We need to get from our homes to our offices or wherever we work or to the supermarket, even walking down the street through a shopping mall. And aircraft are exactly the same. They need to be able to get from point A to point B. And sometimes this can be quite challenging, especially over oceanic areas, um, big vast oceans with no landmass where we can put any beacons. But on dry land, we can. We can have navigation beacons. So a pilot can simply navigate from beacon one to beacon two to beacon three to beacon four, just retuning as he goes, and that's gonna take him along a route to within a rough, guide, a rough guided area. Um, these are not especially accurate, but you know, they get people from country to country or area to area, and that's a good thing. But one of the main navigation aids which uh, people know about the most is what we know as the instrument landing system, or the ILS. Now this is the system which will bring an aircraft down to touchdown on a runway in zero visibility, if that is required. Now, it's not only the equipment that allows that to happen, there's a number of other things in the airport which have to be all in alignment for an aircraft to be allowed to land in zero visibility. The aircraft, for one, has to be capable of it, the ILS has to be CAT3, the actual controllers and the pilots and everybody has to have that training to be able to do this landing. The fire cover, the MET systems, the runway. So there's a lot of things that lead into it, but most major airports are what's known as category three nowadays, which means aircraft can land in zero visibility. Obviously we don't want to do that, um, but you know, you have fog, you have dust, you have rain, you have other things that happens and it's much better than circling in the sky. 
And that system lands the aircraft down by using multiple different pieces of equipment. So you have firstly a localizer, which is giving information along the horizontal axis. Now this allows the pilot to navigate his aircraft into an extended center line of the runway. So way beyond the end of the runway, the pilot will begin looking for the localizer beam and he will find that beam and then navigate into the center of it. How it does that is a little bit complicated and we'll look into that in more depth in later episodes. But for the purpose of this, just think on it like the sight of a gun. And then the other part of that system, the ILS, is the glide slope. Now this gives you the actual angle the aircraft is going to begin its descent into touchdown. And when you, when you combine the localizer beam and the glide slope beam, you do create almost like a cross in the air, in like a cone shape, coming in to bring the aircraft down. So the aircraft should be able to land very accurately on centerline, on glide slope, and hit the touchdown safely. And that is the aim of the instrument landing system. So instrument landing system lands the aircraft and the navigation systems are getting you from point to point. And then the third letter in the CNS is the letter S for Sierra. This stands for surveillance. So back in the old days, surveillance was routinely considered to be radar surveillance. And that is how it was for a very long time. We had what's known as primary surveillance radar and secondary surveillance radar. Primary surveillance radar is your traditional old-fashioned radar, which is sending out a huge big powered signal and a tiny bit of it bounces back or comes back as an echo and is detected by the receiver. And the system can figure out how far away that aircraft is by using timing and how when it sent the signal out to when it received it back. Obviously, it travels at the speed of light. That is your traditional uh, primary surveillance radar. The other one, secondary surveillance radar, is a little bit more complex in how it does it. Um, it's effectively the same, but it's bit more processing. So secondary surveillance radar gives a little bit more information to the controller. The system on the ground sends out, rather than a huge big pulse, it sends out a question. It asks the aircraft, who are you and what height are you at? Now this is uh, conventional secondary surveillance radar. So the aircraft receives that question and it sends back a reply or an answer. So it'll send back to the ground station a code identifying that aircraft and it'll send back the altitude of the aircraft for conventional secondary surveillance radar. Again, using timing, the system can calculate how far away that aircraft is and similar to the primary radar, it knows where the, the antenna was pointing when it sent out the question and when it received it, so it knows the direction that aircraft is in as well. But now, we have the addition of altitude, which means that we're sort of starting to build up a 3D picture for the controller. They know the direction, they know the distance, and they know the altitude of the aircraft. Now this is incredibly helpful for a controller, especially in busy areas of airspace. But nowadays we're using more modern methods, using satellite, communicate, uh, satellite navigation systems. So like 
GPS is an example, what we use on our phones. We can utilize that in a sort of roundabout way for aircraft. Again, this is something we will come on to in a later episode when we actually delve deep into surveillance. Now, when we think about those CNS, communication, navigation, and surveillance, obviously there's a lot of data involved. And that's where the ATM or the air traffic management comes in. How do we manage that data? How, we, how do we distribute it all over the world and share information between airports and between different sovereign states to ensure the flow transit of aircraft through our airspace? Now, this is an incredibly complex job and I am just going to simply skim over it. But just to give you an idea, every aircraft that you see in the sky, if you look on any of these um, Flight Radar 24 or other websites, you will see the colossal amount of aircraft up there, and they are all being coordinated. Nothing is flying free. So they are all under some form of coordination. And that requires a lot of planning and a lot of sharing of information. So we have, in effect, our own networks, almost like your own World Wide Web for air traffic control. Almost not quite, but it's similar. The even dedicated networks go back to the 1950s. And there is new technologies, old technology. Different countries have different versions. Different countries have different infrastructure and different wealth capabilities. But everything needs to speak together. So it's incredibly complicated, and there is no way that I can cover that in this. But to give you a rough idea, every aircraft is being coordinated. All the data is readily available for all controllers all over the world at all times. And that is down to flight identification, their positioning, their planned routes, um, even down to information like fuel levels. And uh, nowadays we even have like how many people are on board, any significant information. Um, we also have lots of information coming from the aircraft just simply going into the cloud storage in case it's needed in the future. Um, so there is a huge amount of that ongoing and it is an immense task for the engineers to coordinate and manage all that, to be able to present it to the controllers absolutely huge task. And finally, we're going to look at what is, to me, I think, the most important part. The ATSEP, the air traffic safety electronics personnel, the engineers, the actual people with the knowledge and the ability and the training, the professionalism, the cool heads to be able to keep everything going. So the ATSEPs are dedicated professionals who are maintaining all these systems, the communications, the navigation, the surveillance, the ATM systems, the everyday running of the technical side of air traffic control. Now these are people you very rarely see. I am honored to count myself as one of them and been all over the world and met people, uh, met fellow ATSEPs, I suppose, all over the world. I trained many of them in different airports um, from Africa, 
Asia, Middle East, um, all over Europe. Just missed out America. I've not got there yet, but we'll see in the future. But these people are incredibly intelligent and incredibly um, resourceful because there's a lot of information which is needed to be, you know, kept on top of to manage these systems. And we need to know it all, which is a task. And that's it, never stops learning, never. Because things, you just get on top of something and then it gets upgraded or new technology comes out. I, from one, thought I was fully on board with surveillance because I sort of concentrated on primary and secondary radar for years, and then they introduced Mode S radar, for, which was another type of radar. I had to learn that, I got on top of that, and then boom, ADSB and ADSC, more stuff to learn. And you just get used to it, you just begin picking up. But these are the guys that the general public had pretty much unaware of. An army of highly intelligent professional engineers who are running the technical side to be able to present the information to the air traffic control officers so that they can do their job in speaking to the pilots. And they should not be underestimated in their value as sort of tended to happen in the past. Um, but nowadays, my God, um, the knowledge that you will find in a technical department in an airport is second to none. It's very few industries nowadays where you will find people who know how to do engineering with old valve technology one day and the next day be, you know, using Unix and other coding on machines. The diversity is huge. We can be working on a system which is 30, 40 years old one day, the next day working on a fully digital system which is brand new and you need to be able to adapt to all of that. So that's CNS, ATM and ATSEPS and that is what we're going to be talking about during these podcasts to try and get um, a good understanding going. My intention is hopefully to have um, systems experts. So hopefully we'll plan to have like one system expert and also another guest who will be somebody who knows very little about air traffic control but has something to do with the aviation industry and then it will be my job and the experts job to teach the person who doesn't know much about it and we will have three-way conversations going hopefully a bit of laughter in there a bit of joking a bit of fun and by the end of the hour broadcast the person who knew nothing about it should be able to give us a rundown of the subject which shows that they have taken that on board and we will not cheat they will be asked to do it themselves so that they can do it so that is the idea so I hope that uh, you get an idea of what our intention is uh, I am just learning how to work this uh, podcast software so my editing might not be that great at the moment but hopefully I'll get more used to it and uh, yeah so I'm looking forward to it doing this monthly podcast hopefully the first one will be out in a few weeks and I will update you um, but yeah follow follow um, this podcast and share it with your friends and we will see you very soon thank you very much thank you